Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 basically says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or to be fortified against the schemes of the devil. Stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In verse 18, it says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and all supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then Paul adds a little thing in verse 20, for which I'm ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I think it's really amazing how Paul is, is giving us all these tools and then he kind of ends the whole thing on prayer. Uh, it's, it's really, really vital, but I like that he just doesn't say it's a tool. I like how he personalizes it, where he's like, I don't want you to just pray. I want you to pray for me, too. I like how he took it, and he didn't say, I'm good. I don't need your prayers. Pray for the lost only, or pray for the spiritually weak among you. He says, pray for me too. It is never a bad idea to pray for one another. It is never a bad idea to pray for leadership, for your kids. It is safe to say that everyone at some point in their life has prayed. We pray. We all pray, right? We prayed for traveling mercies. We also say, God, please let me get this job or get into this or that school or get this or that person to notice me, maybe to date me and maybe to marry me or even to leave me. Some of y'all prayed that, okay. Uh, we prayed, God, please let the doctor tell me that it's not that bad, right? Or God, bless my kids, bless my family, bless my food, right? So it is also probably safe to say that most people continue to offer prayers throughout their life. I don't think anyone in their truest, honest self would say, I don't pray. Even atheists, even Satanists, even the liberals. So our continued prayer could be, God, please let my team win this time. God, please don't let anyone know what I've done. God, please smite my enemies. God, thank you for not letting me kill my kids. We have a perspective on what prayer is. And granted, each, each one of our lives, our prayer life is going to be different one to another. But what I come to find out over and over again, that most of our prayers are quick and hurried. They're quick and hurried. They're phrases. And I get it. Like if you're about to eat... Please don't take 20 minutes and pray for everything that comes to your mind. That's of the devil. <laughs> Be conscious of where you are, what's happening. Sometimes prayer circles are gossip circles. And you just want to vent and share the news that you've heard about people. So there's, there's definitely like horrible ways of doing things. But I think what I find is, is for many people, it's not that we don't pray. It's that we, we have quick and hurried prayers 
And uh, because we know that prayer is the difference between our best and God's best. Uh, it's kind of like that makes sense. We also know that prayer puts our future into a all-knowing God who's in our future. We know that that is also, you know, true. Um, we know that prayer puts my hopeless situation into an all-powerful God who does miracles. Like, we subconsciously can agree with that. We, we know that prayer puts our broken lives into a God that can forgive and fix and mend, correct, and to redeem. Right? We, we sometimes forget, but I want to remind all of us that that. Time spent praying is not time wasted. I think we know that subconsciously, theologically, but life actually contradicts that. We want to do more than pray because prayer is just a thing to get to the next thing. And we also know that the reason that we pray and the reason that everyone prays is because prayer requires reliance on someone other than ourselves. That's really what the gist of it. When you don't pray, you rely on yourself. When you pray, you rely on God or the God that you are praying to. Some people rely on Buddha. Some people rely on different things. Um, and so everyone's praying. So instead of me telling you that prayerlessness is a sin, which it is, or for you to start praying or coming to corporate prayers, which you should, Wednesday night, 6 to 8, we open up this place. You can come for 10 minutes, 5 minutes, 1 hour, or 2 hours. And we also we open up 9.30 for prayer here Every Sunday morning at 9.30, we pray for 30 minutes. So there's definitely that. I want to tell you that, but that's, that's not my point of today's message. What I would like to share with you, what prayer does, and to challenge you to pray more, to have, a deeper, to have deeper and bolder prayers, and to develop a consistent prayer life. Prayer starts fires because the intensity and frequency of prayer will determine the level of intimacy and dependency we have on God. And God will start to fire. And if God sparks the flame within us, then we will never be burnt out. But the problem is, what key, is this, that, that what keeps us from having a mature prayer life is a hurried, distracted, and busy life. Many times that's that's what we do. We get busy and distracted because the world offers so much noise. And we have, this, we have learned how to cope with noise, and it's not through silence. It's through more additional noise, louder noise that drowns out all the other noise. The enemy to your growth is a distracted, hurried soul. And to add to it, living in a noisy world. That's, that's our problem. It's not that we don't really pray. We have quick prayers. But because we live in a noisy world and because we're busy, um, we don't have a dynamic prayer life. But busyness is simply our pursuit of productivity to get something. So we busy ourselves to look better, to have things, to have more things, or to have better things. We busy ourselves to have power or influence, finances, recognition. We are busy and busy ourselves so that we can generate value in other people's perspective of us. We want other people to think highly of us. So we work, 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 go, go, go. Try to do things, do things so that people can, you know, elevate us. 
Polls and studies continue to tell us that downtime continues to wither away. Um, they say that over 80% of people check their phones at downtime. When you're in a restroom, when you're at the red light, stop sign, while you're eating or on a date, on your last date, at your kids' games or recitals or school plays, at family gatherings or family dinners, even at church, yes, while you're serving. Busyness and distractions are robbing other people of our presence as well. We're at this place culturally where the things that we do, we gauge them whether or not they're selfie-worthy. If I can't take a selfie of it, is it worth doing? So if I pray and no one sees, is it worth me praying? So you have people with Bible, you know, here's my morning with my coffee. And I'm not saying those things are wrong or you shouldn't do them. I'm just saying that if you want people to see how spiritual you are, maybe you don't take a picture of what you're doing. Our phones and apps continue to rob us because they are designed not to simply entertain us. We've crossed that line that the phones and apps and entertainment is not the product anymore. We, the consumers, are the product. There are companies who spend hundreds of millions of dollars designing free apps. Apps, movies, shows are no longer there to just simply entertain us for a brief moment. But instead, they are designed strategically and on purpose with intention to distract us and more seriously to take from us. The most valuable asset that we have is our time. But the way to get our time is to get our attention. And once you have our attention, then you can take our resources too. And I think this is why we are anxious. This is why we worry. This is why we live in fear. And this is the thing that we use to drown out the noise that the world offers by our own busyness. And if you think I'm like speaking just to you guys, this is like a self-convicting message for me as, as well um, because it's a huge problem in our culture. It's a huge problem in our culture. We were um, listening, looking at some new apps and technologies for our church and we were doing some interviews, kind of like doing like a little uh, talking with a rep and talking about the technology and, and what we can do and this rep said, man, yeah, this, you know, our app is so useful because it really it just you know, puts your church and stuff in front of people. And they said, you know, when I get up, the first thing I do is grab my phone to check my phone. Like she has the guts to admit it without thinking there's a problem. <laughs> but we don't admit it, but that is still our problem. And so our kids, give me a phone. Give me, let me play this video game. Let me get this. Let me get this. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Games, games, YouTube shows, this, this, this. And then we cannot, we lost control of our kids because they are not the product of our raising them, but someone else. Your kids are worse than mine. Okay, next point. <laughs> In many cases, this is why we are anxious. Um, scripture uses this word, uh, marimno. I'm probably saying it wrong, but it is, it is a word that, we, that is used for anxiety. 
and for fear and for worry. Because anxiety is our mind being divided and going in hundreds of directions at the same time. That's what brings us and puts us in this place of, of, of anxiety and leads to depression. And the old English word for worry is strangle. It's a problem and the world offers solutions and that the world offers is medication, which overall is not bad, but majority of it is not for our benefit. But there are cases, so don't get off your medication, but just know that that is a solution that the world offers. The world offers also psychologists and counselors. And just like with medication, it's not necessarily bad. The world also offers us self-help books and other spiritual books to cope with anxiety. And this is honestly, and there may be a few other things, but, but I'm not talking about whether they're bad or not. I'm just telling you that if you want to know what the world offers, that is what they offer. And many of us have stepped into that and are receiving that as a solution for our anxiety. The Gallup poll has been doing studies for over 20 years, and along with most other statistics, they say that though there are more people than ever on anxiety medication and are in counseling sessions, anxiety continues to increase in the general public. They did say that the only group that sees a, a slim decline in anxiety are those who go to church regularly. So community helps. But what I want to say is that God also offers a solution to anxiety. He offers an antidote to anxiety, and it's so simple. Because the antidote to anxiety, worry, and fear is prayer. I know, right? Like, that's groundbreaking. Imagine if you can buy prayer in a pill form. And if God said that that will fix your anxiety. It's just bizarre when the world is the thing that makes our life noisy. And at the same time, they try to offer us ways to get rid of that noise. And I'm not, like I said, please don't hear me that I'm anti this, I'm, I'm anti that. I am for prayer as a first and foremost medicine. And then laughter, especially with my jokes. And this is where we get with Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Or other translations say, be anxious for no thing. But, and this is where the antidote comes in, but in everything, so don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petitions with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And this is going to be the result. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's such a Christianese thing, thing to say that Jesus is the answer. Because we have taken Jesus and boxed him into a Sunday service. And if we go after Jesus, he will reveal the answer for you specifically. That's why he's the answer. Because he knows you. And hey, he may tell you, take this medication for a period of time. 
or he may completely heal you, or he may send a doctor into your direction, or he may just say, just don't do nothing, let the body heal itself because that is a miracle and I made it. So yeah, that's, there's that. The answer to anxiety is simply prayer, but praying is when it becomes complicated because we lack consistency. But if we prayed as often as we ate or took medication or connected on our streaming devices or our shows, if we were eager to wait to spend time with God as we are eager to wait for the next season of our favorite show. What this isn't saying is that never worry about anything at any time for any reason. But what it is saying is that don't presently and actively carry your worries day to day, every day. There's a difference between having and worrying for a second and having worry dominate your life. There's a difference between taking on what today brings because there are things in life due to sin and other people that's going to bring worry to your life because not everything that happens to us is because of the things that we do. Sometimes people make decisions that put us in this place of worrying. And so God is not dismissing this, this natural human response to worry or to be afraid, but he's just saying, don't let that be your identity. Don't let that be the thing that's driving you. Don't let tomorrow's worries or the things of tomorrow, don't carry them today. Don't carry your yesterday today and, for, and, and, and into your future. God wants to deal with our past and he wants to be present in our today and he wants to lead us into tomorrow. It revolves all around him. And so what this is saying is come to Jesus with everything you have. That's what it's simply saying. Come to Jesus with whatever you are carrying. Where are you right now in life, in your depression, in your anxiety, in your relationships? We're, we're, we're like on so many different places in our life, so many different seasons. And God is not saying for us to fix everything up and then come to him he's saying that wherever you find yourself i will meet you but i have to be invited because it's not just for a one-time quick fix so this is not talking about anxiety not being present it's talking about not letting anxiety be our prison but jesus wants to meet us in our busyness he wants to meet us in the place where our life and the meaning and the purpose and the mission that God has for us and the things that people around us and the world is trying to push on us and the noise and, and, and the things that we're giving attention to. He's saying that you're, your attention on this one thing and if your attention is on this one thing, you're going to look for your solution in this one place. But if you shift your attention on me, I will guide your steps. But in order for us to shift our attention, the currency for that is time. And because we cannot create time, we could only alter and prioritize time. And what I love about Jesus is that he does not, I mean, if you think of it, it's like, of course, God, you're God. You're not rushing into anything. You, you know, but remember Jesus, God, became man and he knows what distraction looks like he knows what busyness looks like mark 6 actually records that that jesus and his disciples were so busy that they 
didn't even have time to eat. But then I do want to read Mark chapter 1, verse 21, and it's going to be up on the screen. So they went into Capernaum, and right away he entered a synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. So first, they're traveling to Capernaum. Traveling has to have context because when we think of travel, we think of getting your car and drive comfortably and being patient with drivers around you. But this is more like they went to Capernaum. We have to emphasize that that takes time to travel. And right away he entered into the Sabbath and began to teach, meaning that he made time for the Sabbath. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then, after his teaching, and we are good with 30-minute teachings, right, 20. Our time span is like, what, 15 you know, minutes. And if you're really honest, it's probably more like seven minutes. We, 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 we don't give a lot of room and we don't have a lot of patience for things that don't, are not in, aligned with what we want and who we are. Right? If it's not on my thing, okay, I don't have time for this, disconnected. And th that's why a lot of us don't have a lot of relationships. Because when things get tough, we bail. And because you bail, you miss out on so much opportunity. So just then a man, after he's preached, and his preaching and teaching was not 30 minutes. It's probably a few hours. Just then a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Which is interesting because this is a, someone who's possessed in the synagogue. And it's interesting what drew that demonic presence to the surface. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Verse 25, Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw, himself into, threw him into a convulsions, into convulsions meaning it's over and over and over again, shouting with a loud voice and came out of him. We read this as if it happened in seconds. It could have been an hour. It could have been a couple of hours. We want things so quick that we just miss. Verse 27, they were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So they've seen Jesus do this thing, and they already knew it. So as soon as he comes home for lunch, right, there's another thing that he has to do. And... Honestly, I mean, you're probably looking at like 3 o'clock right now. I don't think it's like, hey, brunch time before the lines get big. Anyways, they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. That means that the lunch wasn't ready. She's just now beginning to prep for lunch. So he went to her, took her by the hand, raised her up. Verse 32, when evening came after they ate, the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. And verse 33, the whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed them. Many who were sick with various diseases drove many out, 
many demons out and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35. Breather, early, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out and made his way to a deserted place and there he prayed. I think Jesus was a busy person. This was a snapshot into Jesus' day. No matter how busy Jesus got, he taught and practiced solitude, his quiet time, uninterrupted time with his father. Did, Jesus did this, the Bible says, as usual. That means that this was his habit. This was his custom. This was a norm to him. And his disciples also followed him. And it was such a huge deal in Jesus' life that that is the thing that they asked Jesus to teach them how to do. They said, we noticed this thing about you is that you pray, teach us to do that because we realize that that is where your energy and power and insight and guidance comes from. Solitude is what the world is trying to take from us and is robbing us with the noise and all these distractions because solitude helps your soul to catch up to your body. To really connect with Jesus, you must prioritize your time with Jesus because this is when we can connect and make prayer our first line of defense. But I think solitude scares us because solitude comes along with silence. And whenever you turn everything off, then you realize how much noise is still happening in your mind. And because we don't take the time to eliminate the noise, we say quick and hurried prayers. It's our fix. Because even though we believe that when we pray, we don't waste time, our life reflects that if you take time to pray, you're wasting time. And whatever your excuses are, providing for my family, okay? My living situation is X, Y, and Z, okay? With all your excuses, you're telling God, I got this. I can do it in my own strength. And then we come to service, and we can't connect. We can't worship. We want something fast, something that can continue to drown out our minds. In an attempt to pray, we, we try to force it. So we will limit our prayers when we try to self-will the prayer, trying to do it in our own strength. You know, get us going. All right. That's what we need the music for. Get us going. Let's go, go, go. God, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And we realize that we get exhausted, right? We try to pray with our will and our strength. Or we try to pray in a formal way, maybe familiar family prayers. There's a story about two people arguing that, you know, one is like, you don't know, you, you, you don't even know how to pray right, you know, you, you don't even know that. And they're going back and forth. And the, so his friend's like, what do you mean I don't know how to pray? I know the prayer. I know, I, know, I know how to pray right. He goes, okay, what's the Lord's Prayer then, if you know? He goes, well, I'll tell you the Lord's Prayer. Now I lay me down to go to sleep, pray the Lord, my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord take... The song. So his friend's like, 
Dang it, you do know the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> but we will repeat things and, real, and, then, and ask ourselves, like, why isn't it working? I thought if I just said the right words. No, that's actually demonic if you just say the right phrases and all the words. That's like new agey. Or we try to self-righteous prayer where it's all I-centered, elevating oneself over the other person. Good, look, look what I've done, God. Look how long I do this. Look what I've, how I read. Look, look, look at me, look at me, I, I, I. And so we elevate ourselves in prayer and it gets us nowhere. Or we'll have an emotional meltdown. Right? If I just cry enough, if I just am emotional, then that must be the thing. And emotional prayers are not bad, but crying doesn't mean that God is moving. But it also doesn't mean that God is not moving. But that's not how you know if someone cries, whether God or not is moving. Um, so there's emotion. And there's also intellectual prayers where if we just say the right things, then it's going to get us to a level with God. And, and I think all those things we try to do in a hurried format. So we get music to get us emotionally charged. We'll get loud music and praise music to drown things out. We'll repeat words that we've heard our parents or pastors or preachers say in our lifetime. Um, or, we'll, or we'll try to conjure up the proper verbiage so that God can be like, yes, you spoke it properly. I will have to do it now. Those are still hurried prayers. And I think what God wants to do is God wants us to slow down long enough to hear him talk back. That's the secret. We don't stay long enough in his presence to hear him talk back. Because all we're doing is pouring everything out. And that's actually just like level one of praying and speaking with God. is pouring out, getting all of those it's in your life that are drowning your thinking out. All your concerns, all your worries, all your fears, all your questions. Pour it out. Pour it out, and you have to do it until there's nothing else to pour out. Because you have to empty the noise. When you offload, and you can actually sit without noise, there is this rawness to your posture with God. Because you're not just emptying your mind or practicing mindfulness or trying to do that and focus on how good you are. That's new agey stuff. No, you still have to empty for a purpose. You have to offload and God invites us to do that. Once you offload and then the moment comes of just being still with God. And this is where we don't have time for it. Because... After we pour ourselves out, we feel better, and so we move on. It's still about us. I cried. I feel encouraged. I feel bold now. And we move on, and God's like, we'll see you back. He wants to move us further because this next part is being still, practicing silence. It's... It's continuing to put the words that are dominating in your minds on Jesus's feet. Silence is a practice of voluntary and temporarily abstaining from speaking. 
so that certain spiritual goals might be sought. It's about what we do with our tongues and what we say. So silence quiets the noise of the world to hear God. And what's crazy about this is researchers say that our mind is actually designed for silence, not for noise. It's designed to be in this place of stillness. It's actually the, th when you get to that point, that is actually the, th that's going to re-energize you. It actually gets your creativity going. It connects your ability to do what you're supposed to do to get in this moment of stillness and, and silence. And once you're in this moment where, where all your, where you've offloaded and you're beginning to sit still, you've poured yourself out, now you can step into and connect with God, even though you're connecting with him through this way, but now there's this intentionality, this focus on connecting with God, and it's a thing we call solitude. Solitude. This is the place where people can spend hours and hours of their time. This moment of solitude. Because you no longer are offloading all of your worries and concerns. You're no longer just trying to still your mind. Solitude is our time actually spent with God. Once you've offloaded, now you can actually engage with God. Jesus lived in a world of inner solitude and frequently experienced outer solitude. He was busy, but he was never in a hurry. Silence and solitude was the place where Jesus found his strength. And so we read some of that today. After Jesus even fed 5,000 people, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. He often, we read this, withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He didn't say that he withdrew because he was lonely. He said he withdrew to a place where he can be by himself. And in that moment of solitude, this is when true worship begins to come out. This is where the words that we're singing begin to have weights. Where you say, God, you are holy. You're no longer saying, God, you are holy. You are experiencing his holiness. It has weights. When you say, God, I give you my life, you're not just saying it to say it. You're feeling the consequences of you giving your life or your future for God to lead and to direct and to guide. When you're beginning to pray for someone, you're, you're seeing God's, God move on your behalf when you pray. You enter a whole transcendent world. I love what Thomas uh, Merton said. He said, prayer is then not just a formula of words or a series of desires springing up in our heart. It is the orientation of our whole body, mind, and spirit of God in silence, attention, and adoration. All good, meditative prayer is a conversation of our entire self to God. It's easy for us to buy into the lie that silence is awkward. The truth is... Silence is not awkward, it's intimidating. And it shouldn't be. The reason I'm having us do this is that I want God to begin to confront you with the noise that's in your mind. 
He wants to show you all of those things that you're still carrying. The thing that you're holding on to the most, the thing doesn't have to be negative or bad. Maybe your future, maybe finances, maybe something that you're wanting to do and you're just, you can't release this thing. You're holding on to it. It's at the forefront of your mind. God is highlighting for you that that is the thing that you do not trust God with. And the reason we're just staying here longer than normal is because we need to fortify our secret place. We need to fortify the peace that is in us. We need to fortify the moment of silence and solitude. We need to make a decision that we will not allow anything to rob us of our moments with God. So Father, I thank you for the word. God, I thank you for the simplicity. I thank you for making the way for us to connect with you, to reconnect with you. God, I pray that you stir up the fire within us.